Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio on the day that the knife crime epidemic was raised to yet another level of violence. A police officer was stabbed multiple times in a frenzied attack last night in East London around midnight after a chase that involved a van uh, and several officers as well. The assailant, who has been arrested and charged, slashed at the police officer several times with, wait for it, a machete. He was eventually subdued after the sudden and brutal attack when he was tasered by the man uh, who had been attacked by him and then arrested uh, by a several different officers. We have been cataloguing the plague of knife crime and how it has escalated in recent months. As of the end of last month, 84 people have so far died at the hands of a knife attacker this year, but so far we have not had a police officer attacked as far as we know. Now surely we'll have to find a solution because when the criminals no longer fear the police, the streets have been lost altogether, haven't they? We'll be checking your calls on this. We want to hear from you. We want to know what has gone wrong with our society, with our police officers and with the, the threat that all of these people are making towards them that they don't care. They'll take a machete, they'll take an axe, they will take a pickaxe, they will take any kind of implement and attack a police officer with it. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Coming up, we'll also hear how knife possession offences committed by women have increased 10% each year for the past five years. In 2018 alone, over 1,500 offences were recorded. What on earth is going on out there? 0344 499 1000. It's not good enough just to blame Sadiq Khan. It's not good enough just to say there's not enough police officers out there. There is a massive problem going on in our society and we can't just keep ignoring it, can we? Coming up later on, we're joined by the leader of the Social Democratic Party, William Clouston, who will give us his take on Brexit, where he thinks we are going and how we should get there and precisely what his party means when they say they want to leave the European Union. Plus, we'll be examining why so many young couples are finding out they have no rights if they don't actually get married and if one of them dies... The other one might not get any of the uh, joint goods that they share together. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So once again, we are awoken to the news this morning that there's been a terrible knife attack uh, somewhere in East London. It could be somewhere in East Manchester. It could be somewhere in Western Birmingham. It could be in Newcastle. It could be in Glasgow. It could be in Leeds, Sheffield, Bristol. It could even be in Taunton because knife crime is endemic in this country now. But the biggest thing that has changed for me is that last night, a police officer was stabbed with a machete in what is being described as a frenzied attack. Now, thankfully, it would appear that the officer concerned is actually going to to recover. Uh, he was in critical condition at one point. He's undergoing surgery this morning uh, but it looks as though he will live and he will be okay. But when it comes to the point where criminals don't care whether they shoot the police, whether they stab the police, whether they run cars at the police, then surely we have lost the streets altogether. Let's talk to Chris Hobbs, a good friend of the show, former Met Police officer himself, of course. Chris, a very good morning to you. Yeah, morning, Mike. I mean, this is a different level now, isn't it? Because once they start attacking the police, then sort of all bets are off, aren't they? 
these attacks on police have uh, been increasing in severity a number for um, for months and months yeah. now. Um, in actual fact, yesterday, before this terrible incident in Leighton, the Metropolitan Police Task Force tweeted that they confronted a male who was threatening officers with a knife uh, and tasered him right. and arrested him. Um, so this isn't, uh, this isn't uncommon. Uh, Islington, a few months ago, officers were attacked with a knife when they went to what seemed a routine domestic dispute. Right. I think what you're seeing now, really, is it's open season on police and... That's a major problem. But as you quite rightly say, there's something rotten spreading throughout society. It's not police who are just police on the receiving end. No, it's NHS workers, it's teachers, it's shop workers. There is something really going badly wrong. I can't quite put my finger on it. But, of course, if you're getting attacks on police... and I, I was out Saturday, Mike, with um, observing the Tommy Robinson demonstration. And the bile and the hatred directed towards police from those protesters mm. was just really dreadful for, yeah. from so-called patriots. And this is something that's right across society, um, even though the police retain basically the trust of the public, 76%, I think it was at the last poll. But something's going badly wrong, and if we're not careful, you know, we're going to get a police officer killed soon. Well, and that is bring... the problem. And, and I know that we, you and I have spoken before about the uh, level of violence against police officers, and I think you, when the last time we, we talked about it, I said surely there should be an automatic custodial sentence for anyone uh, who assaults a police officer. But this is taking it one step further in a way. And the other thing that concerns me is the type of weapon used, that it wasn't just, you know, a flick knife, or a Swiss army knife, it was a machete. You know, something which is probably, I don't know, two, two feet long uh, with a massive big handle on it, something that you couldn't possibly want to do anything with other than um, injure someone. No, that's right. Uh, machetes seem to be coming ever popular um, to be carried as well as, as well as knives, as you quite rightly say, and, it, and it's a lethal weapon. I mean, even a small knife, as you know, Mike, can be a lethal weapon. Of course. If it's used in the right place. There, there was this programme the other day... Um, which showed a stabbing 24 hours in police custody. And it was very graphic. It actually showed a stabbing in a, in a Luton shopping centre. Right. And then you actually saw one guy being stabbed, who'd been stabbed, a dripping blood going up to a, uh, a security officer, and then another one. And this guy then just collapsed with blood spurting. And you then had frantic attempts to, to revive him. And, and he died, yeah. <laughs> you know, in front of us. Right. It was... Uh, it was it's it was just horrific, isn't it? It's horrific. And, and the thing that worries me the most, Chris, is that we seem to be kind of sleepwalking through it. You know, there are those who blame Sadiq Khan and won't see past that. There are those who say, well, it's the Tories' fault because they took all the police off the streets. I mean, it's clearly much more than either of those things. I think you're right. As, as I just said, it's something that's affecting... Um, all sorts of agencies, and it, it's really across it's across the board. What, what you need to cope with it, though, is a, a police force that's fully functioning. You know, if something's going wrong in society, you really need those police officers out there, you need police stations open, and that isn't happening. And what you've also got, Mike, and I say I saw it on Saturday, but I'm looking now at um, an editorial from the Mail from two days ago, yeah. and it shows a policeman's, a Metropolitan Police helmet, with maggots crawling out of it. And uh, really? it's in relation to the VIP, you know, this business about VIPs being arrested oh, unfairly yes. by the Met. Right. Now, now, they've got a point. Something obviously went badly wrong there. Yes. But, but what it seems to me happens is if something goes wrong in the NHS or at a particular hospital, and, and it's a scandal, but it's restricted to those people responsible for it, if something goes wrong in the police, 
it's like the police as a whole get smeared with the with that particular problem. Yeah. And, and again, on do Saturday, you think though that the management of the police have been partially responsible for that? And I'm not in any way excusing people abusing the police or being, being violent towards them or anything like that. But certainly, people writing stories about the police force's uh, inability to do something very well and then try and cover it up. You know, I mean, I'm not sure that you're going to stop that if that's what's going on. No, and, and I would agree. If something goes wrong in the police, it has to be highlighted. Yeah. But then there has to be balance, because every day you get actions by police, and you obviously see it on police social media, where police act with extraordinary bravery or yeah. compassion in saving lives. Now, those stories will never make the newspapers. I send them to the newspapers. Right. I send them to the media. I just get ignored. You well, know, you I should send them here to talk radio, because we'll, we'll do them, Chris. I mean, you know, we are champions of the police I know uh, when they yeah. do stuff right. And, I mean, only the other week we saw those incredible uh, brave uh, police officers in uh, the London Bridge attacks walking through Borough Market, unarmed, effectively, uh, looking for the guys who had knives and swords, effectively, strapped to their wrists so that they couldn't be removed, uh, who were intent on murdering as many people as possible. And, and our guys were literally walking around looking for them. Yeah, yeah, and you're quite right. And, yes... You, you know, your radio sort of channel, as it were, is, is one of the few that actually has a bit of balance. Yeah. But if you look at some newspapers, the Sunday Times actually put a, some sort of advert out asking that if you hadn't been well treated by police after reporting a crime, contact them. Now, yes, we know there's issues about reporting crime. We know there's issues about investigating crime. But again, it's, it's, it's like the media sections of the media are looking for bad news in respect to... So I said the editors are saying, go out and find me an anti-police story. And that, of course, just... If you're a criminal, it just makes it that much easier for you to overstep the mark and almost justify an attack on a police officer, yeah. as, as I saw, you know, with my own eyes on Saturday. Well, as you say, it does create a sort of an atmosphere in which that's much more likely to happen. I've got a tweet here, funnily enough, uh, from somebody calling himself Pompey Pleb, who says a police officer was stabbed in the back at midday in a park in Portsmouth by a county lines dealer, and it didn't even make the national news. I don't remember seeing that at all. No, I must admit, I must have missed that, as you do miss things on Twitter. Yeah. I'm sure it featured somewhere, but very often on Twitter you do see some pretty horrendous incidents and, and acts of really commendable bravery by police in dealing with some of these people. Right. But, uh, what about the, the presence of things like machetes? What can we do about that? Because, of course, everybody knows that things are available on the internet, you can get things sent to you through the post, but it seems to me that we have to do something about the types of weapons that are being used out there on the streets, don't we? Well, it, it is very difficult to control what comes in, as it were, into the country and what goes out in terms of on the internet or even what you can buy in shops. And, yeah. yes, machetes are pretty dreadful implements, but you can buy... They've, they've tried to tighten up in shops now, haven't they, in terms of purchasing knives, but it's still not difficult. No, I'm and sure it, there are certain shops that you can't buy them in. I mean, I, I, I tell this story frequently that when I was once uh, out and about... A couple of years ago, it was one of my kids, and I had to go and get an axe because we wanted to chop some wood. And I also had to get a pair of scissors or something. I went to Tesco's. I had to show ID to buy the scissors, but I went to B&Q to buy the axe. No problem. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you kind of go in, well, that's all very well, but, you know, the axe is a little bit more dangerous than a pair of scissors. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, there is an issue there, without a doubt. And, and there is now, isn't there, this talk of violence reduction and Glasgow and education. And, and I think... All that has got a part to play. Um, but, but whatever happens, the public health approach, Mike, isn't it, that they're talking about now? Mm. But that, that if, if it's effective at all, and you've got so many fingers in the pie, 
so many people on the boat rowing in different directions. You've, you've got people who are saying, no, no, let's not have on Twitter pictures of knives that police have seized mm. through stopping because that makes things worse. Yes. Now, personally, I, I just think that's utter rubbish yeah. because most of the violence that's generated amongst the youth, you see on social media, it, it's there in abundance. These drill rappers boasting about their exploits, you know, can get millions of views. That's where the problem is, not police pictures of yeah. knives being seized. But you've got people involved in this violent reduction industry, as it's become. But you've got so many different views and people pulling in all sorts of directions that you wonder, is it ever going to be effective? And are we doomed to have this problem with us for many years? No, of course. And when you see the other story that we've got this morning about how knife possession offences involving women have mm. increased steeply, uh, up to 1,500 uh, possession offences last year alone, um, and that, that seems to be gang-related. Again, you know, these are presumably people who are holding onto knives which are massively big uh, and massively dangerous, you know, not smallish. And I know I know that you can still kill someone with a flick knife, that's not my point, but, but you know, they're so brazen. You can't just walk around with a machete and nobody can see it, can you? No, that's right. And, of course, as has been pointed out, girls are far less likely to be stopped and searched than boys are. That's um, not the number of well, female... Well, maybe that's going to have to change. Well, maybe, yeah, but you need the female officers to do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you need to call them and you obviously can't have a male searching a, a female. But even violence, gang violence amongst girls, you've seen some of the things on, on YouTube. Yeah. Um, really serious incidents of violence involving girls attacking girls. Um, so, so there's a real problem there. It's, uh, it's across the sexes, unfortunately, and it yeah. just adds to this pretty disastrous picture that we've got at the moment in this country. I know. Absolutely shocking. Chris, as ever, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Chris Hobbs there, a former Metropolitan Police officer. Detective Chief Superintendent Richard Tucker uh, has said this about what happened last night uh, in East London, in Leighton High Road, to be precise. Have you engaged a driver who was quite aggressive because there was some kind of a uh, chase involving a white van uh, and a police car? He then tries to make off gets back in the van and a violent struggle ensues where he produces a weapon and stabs our officer in the head and around the body. While being stabbed, the policeman, who has around a decade of police experience, is said to be in his 30s, managed to taser his attacker before the suspect was arrested by another officer. Uh, the officer, of course, is under uh, the hospital treatment at the moment. He's being operated on. I think he's got damage to his hand. Uh, he needed stitches in the side of his face where he was slashed. But carrying a machete, surely to God, should be some kind of offence which involves you having to go to prison for a very long time. Attacking a police officer should be an automatic custodial sentence, shouldn't it? I can't imagine why it would be anything else. I want to hear from you on this one because we have reached a different level today. I don't care that people say police have been attacked in the past. This was a brazen attack on a police officer on duty by a guy with a machete just because they wanted to stop him from driving somewhere. 0344 499 1000. This is not just Sadiq Khan's problem. This is not just the Tory party's problem. This is not just the police's problem. It's our problem, and we need to sort it out. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk Radio. We'll take your calls next. This is Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far <laughs> enough. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
would say it's hard to believe that it's been 50 years since uh, the Abbey Road album cover was shot, and that's what the uh, some commemoration is today. But actually, it's not really. It is quite a long time ago. Uh, but many of you, of course, will only know the Beatles because of the recordings that they made. You never saw them perform. You never really saw them being interviewed. You never saw them in uh, a room together, the four of them, uh, because, of course, John Lennon hasn't been with us for many, many a year. Um, uh, he was assassinated back in the early 80s. And, of course, um, George Harrison's not around either. But we'll be going live to Abbey Road because uh, we've got some reporters down there uh, commemorating the 50th anniversary of that particular photograph on the Zebra Crossing uh, being made. So uh, we'll bring you that shortly. First, though, let's go to the phone. Simon's in Torquay. He wants to talk about the police. Hello, Simon. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, what do you want to say? Oh, morning, sorry. Um, yeah, my brother's a serving detective sergeant in the Met at the moment. Right. Um, and there are a couple of things that people need to think about and perhaps calm down. It's a very fresh incident, what happened last night. Yeah. Um, the officer that drew his taser, the, the difference between drawing a taser and a firearm are going to be exactly the same. So whether this officer was armed or not, the response to him actually drawing that weapon to use would have been very similar. And would that or would that have not have stopped the injuries that have happened to him? That's a big question to ask. And then, Well, you, you can shoot somebody from further away than you can tase them from, can't you? Yeah, you can do, but would you necessarily just shoot somebody for the heck of it? What he's probably done, I and mean, we don't know yet, is he's probably gone up to the vehicle, opened the door, getting the suspect out, and that's when the attacks happened, and you wouldn't necessarily draw your firearm from that. We, we police by consent in the United Kingdom. We're not a military style like the United States. No, we're not, um, but as a result of the knife crime epidemic, which we are currently uh, in the midst of, I think we have to change the way we do policing in this country because I don't think the way it's being done uh, is working. Uh, well, you could argue that. So shall we use the CJISD stat, which is the Criminal Justice Information Services Division in the United States, which shows since 2008 to 2017, which is 10 years, 527 officers have been killed from their own firearm or accidentally in the line of duty. That's one a week, roughly. Yeah, well, America's a very big country. Uh, it, has it, is, a, well, it has a huge history of gun crime, and also almost everyone in America has a gun. So I don't think there's much point in comparing those sorts of statistics to us because we don't have uh, a gun crime culture, but we currently have a knife crime culture. So I just think do. that the police themselves, and we all are also hearing, and you'll know this from your brother's accounts, I'm sure, because we did a programme on this just about a week or two ago, more and more police officers are being assaulted on a regular basis. And the problem for me is not so much about how the police protect themselves, but it's why people now think that they can attack police officers because they don't fear the consequences. That, that, that's, that, that is correct. I do agree with you on that. Um, but going back to um, assaulting, and we are different to America, I agree with you, but the one thing that my brother has always told me, because I've said to him, why don't you want a firearm? And I've had this discussion a lot, and he has said... Anything we can carry can be used against us. So they've got their asp, they've got their taser, CS spray, etc. They all get hit with the asp in training, they get tasered, they get CS spray, they know what it's like. You're not going to shoot an officer to say, this is what it feels like. Um, so anything they can carry, a police officer can be overpowered and that weapon can be used against them. No, I get but that. I, I, I do I, think I you're that. right. I think you are spot on with what do we do. And there is no fear up there. When I was younger, I'm 36 years old, when I was younger, I was brought up to respect police officers, and I still do. And I feel old because many of them are younger than me now. Um, <laughs> well, that's how you know you're getting old, is the police look starts <laughs> a little bit younger. It certainly is. But I respect them, and there is not that respect. I, I was brought to respect my elders. There is no respect nowadays in the younger generation. And that is what we need to look at. People go to prison for rehabilitation reasons. That's the way our prison service works. 
And yet, and that doesn't work that either. Break, no, it doesn't. And they break the law, but then they're handed out freebies. Oh, here's some here's some qualifications which a normal law-abiding citizen doesn't get. Yeah, punish them. No, I Send agree. But the other the other good thing for me about a police officer carrying a weapon is not so much um, about the overpowering, which is yes possible, but not something that would happen every single time. But it might be more of a deterrent. Now, you could make an argument, I'm sure, for, for both sides of that, that it might not be a deterrent. But I suspect there are many marginal criminals who, if they thought there was a chance they would be shot if they did something anti-police rather than, you know, basically nothing happens to them, I think they wouldn't do it. I, I, well, I would hope so. But then you've also got that other, that other avenue of thinking of if they're going to be going down for something and they know if I hit that officer, I'm going to go down for X amount of years if I, if I seriously assault them, do I just go one step further and see if I can get away with it and take their life? Yeah. That well, is a, you know, the, the last thing, that, the last one I believe that happened in London, uh, bless him, was uh, PC Keith Palmer, who, who lost his life in the line of duty. And that was a terrorist incident. Um, yeah, and there was a gun there that was shot. Crime, no, you, you can't. No, that was a one-off thing. But it is a scary world that people are carrying knives. And even down here in, in Devon, which, let's face it, is heaven's waiting room down here. Most of the population are over 70. Um, there yeah, is now, a there'll lot be ages of... now. That's not nice. <laughs> it, You'll it's be one thing, soon. Though. Oh, tell me about it. Um, but there are a lot of gang cultures down here. There's a lot of knife crime going on. And people do carry knives. And, you know, you're talking... Little old Devon when nothing yeah, happens. I know. It's, 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 it's crazy. Listen, Simon, great call. We've got to run because we're running slightly late and we've got to get to the news. But do call us again because we've always got uh, time for people with inside information. Uh, he's got a brother in the Metropolitan Police, so uh, he's got some facts. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Sleep pretty darling, do not cry. And I will sing a lullaby. Independent Republic of Mike Graham, you know what to do. It's the 50th anniversary uh, of that very famous Abbey Road picture where the Beatles were walking across the zebra crossing outside of EMI's studios in Abbey Road. It's a fabulous location. It's an incredible draw uh, for tourists from around the world. Everybody wants to have their picture taken on the zebra crossing. All sorts of permutations were given out at the time of why, uh, you know, Paul was barefoot, why people were walking in a particular way, why the Beatles were walking in that particular direction. It's a fascinating story. It's a great picture and I think one that everybody knows. A fantastic album, by the way, as well. Toby Gillies uh, from Talk Radio is down there today uh, taking in uh, the sights and talking to people about the Beatles and about the anniversary. Toby, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Now, uh, it sounds to me like it's pretty busy down there. Yeah, Mike, at exactly 50 years on to the minute, I am standing on Abbey Road Zebra Crossing right outside the famous studios. Um, I, I sort of wanted to be walking across the zebra crossing in the same direction as the Beatles, but as you mentioned, there are, I mean, hundreds, it's probably even thousands of Beatles supporters and fans who are um, here just celebrating this historic moment, of course, buses miles down the road I can see cars been stopped for some reason they didn't actually close the road today um, <laughs> Sue Hibbs is with me Mike she's from the Beatles pilgrimage tour they bring over around 30 people from the states five times a year 
for a week-long Beatles celebration. So this one, right now, on the Zebra Crossing, 50 years on exactly, must be very special for you. It's incredible, the, the response. We had to shut off the, the bookings because everybody wanted to be here to share in this fantastic experience. And I think I've spotted a chance to walk across the Zebra Crossing. Should we do it? Here we go. Do it. Here we go. Mike, we are the only people doing this at the moment. Everyone else has been sort of pushed aside, so we're doing it on our own. We got it, don't we? Right. Well, do you know, I've got a, a, a great uh, story. I hope uh, Sue can hear me uh, here because I used to go to a school not very far when I was in primary school, not very far from Abbey Road Studios, and my mother used to drive us past it every single day. Um, and in those days, of course, it wasn't quite as crazy as it is these days for, for tourists and people like that. But the Beatles also owned a house which was a little bit further down, past the next set of traffic lights on the way to Lords. And we were sitting in traffic one morning, about to go to school, and the doors opened of this massive mansion, and a big white Rolls Royce pulled out into the street ahead of us, and sitting in you the back... see Sue's face, Mike. Sitting in the back <laughs> was John Lennon and Paul McCartney. We literally oh couldn't believe it. I've never forgotten it. I mean, oh. I, was about, I was about seven years of age, and it was absolutely I incredible. I can't imagine. Absolutely incredible. And, they, and we were sitting behind them in traffic until, you know, we got down to a bit further down to Woods Listen Grove. So uh, you're, oh, wow. do, do you live here, Sue, or you, do you come over with these no, tours? I, I actually live in the U.S. Um, we're, we're based in the U.S. We, we come over, meet everybody in London. So we have a lot of uh, guests who come from the U.S., Canada, Australia, South America. Yeah, it is incredible, and, uh, really, that when you think about sort of uh, rock and roll and pop stars now, that the Beatles careers were so short as, as, as a band together. Absolutely. That they did that breadth of music in that short period of time is just... It, Mike, the reason you can hear the cheering is that we have four Beatles lookalikes oh, right. carrying out the exact walk at I this thought the cheer was I thought the that. cheer was for me, actually, to be honest. I thought it was for, you know, we <laughs> realised who you were working for. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean it's a fascinating thing. Do, do you get to go inside the um, the EMI studios as well or not? We do we do not on the tours. Uh, a lot of us are going to the Abbey Road lectures tonight. Okay. Um, in and then when we go to Liverpool, we also go in the Beatles homes and do a lot of the National Trust things. It's, right. It's a full seven day tour. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. And I mean, in in America, where obviously the Beatles were like gods when they first went over there, when they played Shea Stadium and they did the Ed Sullivan Show and all of that. I mean, all of that still looks so fresh, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It, it's just, and, and bring, being here with the Beatle fans, the vibe is incredible. P hearing people's first-hand accounts of, of when they saw it on Ed Sullivan or when they've heard their first record, it, it's just, there's nothing like it. Now, you can be honest with me, because if you've been there many times, Sue, you'll know that there was a period of time, certainly uh, during the 70s, where the, the Abbey Road road sign kept being stolen um, and they had to keep replacing it because people would steal it and take it home. Have you got one? No, but I, I am not above. Uh, if anyone knows where I can get one, you can look me up. Okay. So thanks very much indeed. Toby, thank you very much indeed as well. Toby Gillies reporting in from Abbey Road, walking across uh, the famous Zebra Crossing. I mean, on any given day when you drive around uh, that particular part of uh, northwest London, you normally have to stop because there's all sorts of tourists 
walking across and walking back again and walking across and walking back again. Everybody's taking pictures. It is a remarkable thing that it's lasted this long. And also, given the way that London has changed over the years, it's pretty remarkable that it hasn't been knocked down or tarmacked over or made into a cycle lane. Can you imagine if they put a cycle lane down Abbey Road? Please, God, don't let ever that happen. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This paper trail leads right back to you You say you need me to step outside this is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, and of course we're here all the way through until one o'clock when it's time for Matthew Wright. Now, it's holiday time as well. Now, if you're standing around at Heathrow waiting for a British Airways plane to take you wherever you were supposed to go yesterday, uh, you might have bought a couple of books in the uh, friendly bookshop at the airport because we've got a list here of the 20 most popular, most read books uh, revealed. And uh, there's some interesting ones in there, and nothing particularly uh, which isn't very well known, really. Stig Abel joins us, editor of the Times Literary Supplement. Stig, a very good um, afternoon to you. Hello. Hello, good afternoon. Thank you so much for making that long trek down the corridor yeah. to come down <laughs> it here. It's a long way. Now, um, the thing that surprises, I think, both of us slightly here is that there's an awful lot of kids' books mentioned as the most popular. And also, all the other books are things that you would expect everyone's heard of. And I wonder whether people have just kind of said, oh, yeah, my favourite book is The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe because it's the one, it's the last book they read or something, you know, yeah, maybe well, when they were 10. Well, the great lesson in life is that people always lie about yeah. what they're reading. There's whole swathes of books on people's bookshelves that they pretend to have read. Mm. We don't even pretend, they don't even have them on their bookshelves. That They right. just feel that they have to, you know, 1984 is a really good example. Like, people do read that book and yeah. I see it's number... What's it, number nine? It's the only adult book. It's an interesting thing. Here's an interesting thing. It's the only adult book on the top ten of things that... These are books that people take on holiday, that's right. right. Five the, uh, of the top ten are Harry Potter books. Yeah, so does that mean adults are taking Harry Potter on holiday? I, I mean, mean, there are adults that love Harry Potter books, mind I'm, you. I'm the wrong... I'm the wrong... Just the wrong era for, for it. So I was grown up by the time it came out. So I've never... My kids, I've got a ten-year-old yeah. and a seven-year-old. They both love it. Yes. Uh, and I think if you grew up when it first came out, you might still yeah. read it for comfort. My oldest daughter, who's now 28, uh, I gave her the first book because I was working for the Daily Express at the time and a guy there handed it to me and he said, this is going to be huge. And I, it was like, I went, yeah, okay, what, whatever. Gave it to her. She loves Harry Potter and has always loved it and even now still will reread so some you, of the books. So would she, read, would she read it on holiday, do you think? Um, she might. Funnily enough, she's, she's, she's been asking me for a bunch of things to read. She's just read 1984, so yeah. uh, maybe well, she's moved on. Well, I spoke to people at Penguin about 1984 because 1984 actually sells a quarter of a million copies every year wow. and has done every, more or less every year. Right. In the last five years, since the arrival particularly of Trump in America mm. and, and the idea of double, double speak and the idea of people the telling thought police. you thought police and all of, you know, 1984 has become more and more modern yeah. as it's got older and older. And isn't it funny how everybody's got a different view of what it actually means? Yeah. Because some people in America think that it's actually pro-Trump as opposed yeah. to what it actually is, which would be anti-Trump. Well, it's anti-authoritarian, yeah. isn't it? And, 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 but it's a book that still sells. But do people take it on holiday? I mean, what do you take on holiday when well, you go Well, do you know what? I very rarely take uh, read, read books at all because really? I take the view that I, I, I read so much for, yeah. for a living that for me, the only time I can read is if I'm on a sunbed. Um, and so I'll normally sort of maybe just pick up a book at the airport and go, maybe I'll read this. I'm quite a big reader of non-fiction, 
Um, yeah. Like I'll read um, almost anything that's written by um, uh, the Watergate guys, you know, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bob Woodward, who yeah. wrote Bush at War. I took that on holiday once. Um, I read a he great fear. book. He wrote Fear, the Trump book. You should read that. Yeah, I haven't read that yet. Yeah, so I, I'll pick good. something like that up. But, you know, um, I read um, I read a Martin Amis book for the first time on a holiday recently. And which was it? Uh, it was the one about uh, the one about the guy in New York. It was given to me by somebody money. who said, Money, yeah. Because yeah. uh, it was supposedly it was about me in the 80s and I lived in New York. Did you like it? I loved it. I yeah. thought it was, it was quite like me in the 80s, actually, which well, is very... one of the reasons I moved back to Britain. <laughs> yeah, it's very realistic. <laughs> yeah. But I think a lot... It says here as well, and this is true, I think a lot of people buy crime fiction when you're on holiday. People want on holiday... There's an argument about this. I want on holiday a story. Mm. I generally want when I read a novel anyway, something exciting, a story. I, I, I find postmodern fiction, the fiction that's kind of obsessed with itself, yeah. uh, I find really annoying. Mm. Uh, and I think that the joy of a book is it tells you a simple story, A to B. And crime fiction does that. A lot of these books, and I see that a lot of men particularly, like uh, crime fiction. So Lee Child um, scrapes into this uh, list. And there's things like The Girl on the Train, which is a sort of thrillery Presumably book. that's more to do with the film, though, isn't it? Is that the sort of thing that people will buy the book because they saw the film? I think a lot of it, it depends on what the bookshop pu pushes out as well. So when you go to Heathrow, for yeah. example, there will be a bunch of detective crime fiction film tie-ins because yes. they know that you've not thought about it properly mm. and you're going to be attracted to it. I just think this has turned into panic... I mean, this is, of course, it's one of those things that's been done by a company, which I won't name, just for the sake of uh, getting a story in the paper. So yes. a lot of it's rubbish yeah. at the baseline. And I wonder whether they've just asked people, name a book, mm. and people have, like you say, have panicked right. and said, oh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, because they, they're 50 years old and when they, were, right. they, when they were 10, they read that. I cannot believe people, if we were to go down the beaches of Portugal and Spain or uh, this country... I'm not sure we'd stumble across one copy of The Lion, the Witch and no. the Wardrobe. Also, generally speaking, you don't... You know, the old sort of, uh, you know, very unscientific study of people on the tube, which used to consist of loads of people reading newspapers yeah. and the odd person reading a book. Yeah. I see very few people reading books now. And I know that they might be reading um, them on a Kindle, yeah, but no, still... No newspapers. Oh, forget newspapers, yeah, yeah phones, I mean, you know... Funny enough, I'm writing, a, I'm writing a book at the minute... So which am is I. called A Commuter's Guide to Reading. And okay. it's what books you can read. Yeah. The average commute in the... Uh, in the US and the UK, it's 50 minutes, five right. zero minutes. So I'm doing a thing where if you read 50 minutes a day, how much can you read? And the different types of books you can read. You do see some, but but like you say, maybe they're reading on their phones. Yeah, that's possible. Book? Uh, my book is a sort of memoir of my... Uh, partly going back to my days in America in oh the 80s. Is, um, it, is it a bit American psycho? Um, well, no, I've had to leave quite a lot of it out, you know, because obviously there are certain things that, that even I would not like to have known about me. Um, but, please, uh, le please legal. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's, whole, there's chapters on uh, my time working working in America, there's chapters on my time working in Scotland, chapters on my time working in Wales, which is also pretty grisly, actually, when I was running the Welsh edition of Daily Mirror, uh, and chapters of my life here as well. So uh, it's all it's all swimmingly, swimming along. So, and that's for people I who like... I come and seek your guidance yeah. about it later well, on. that's for people who like non-fiction, yeah. I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, some of this stuff you wouldn't believe, actually, to be fair. <laughs> also, a bit of in Bosnia. I was in Bosnia for a bit as well. Oh, really? So getting oh, shot at. I look forward to it. So, yeah, but, I mean, the other thing I wonder about is how is the publishing business generally, because it's gone a bit like the film business for me, where they get stuck in genres and suddenly they go, oh, Bridget Jones's Diary, that was good. Let's get a few books like that published. And I think it's a really good comparison. Uh, and we actually start to publish books now at the TLS. I'm seeing publishing from, from both ends. Right. What they do is, they, they're like the film industry, it's incredibly inefficient, but they rely on big hits to save everyone else. Yes. So provided they get their hit, so here we've got you know, the, the company that we work for has, is Harper uh, HarperCollins. Yeah. They have David Williams. Yes. They have Hilary Mantel. Mm. They have George R.R. R. Martin, right. the Game of Thrones guy. They know broadly, although they're often delayed in delivering them, a certain amount of books that are going to come in. 
uh, a certain amount of revenue they're going to generate, yeah. and that pays for virtually everything else. And that's else. A, more or less a dead cert, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that's like it's like film franchises. Yeah, like if the you, Avengers. Yeah, or if you got yeah. if you got that, you're safe. Mm. Um, and then the rest of them, you're right, exactly what they do is if a book succeeds, and a lot of how a book succeeds is a weird alchemy of like a bookseller, like Waterstones really supports yeah. it, it gets good reviews, Amazon likes it, um, there's word of mouth. Once that succeeds, publishers will chuck loads of marketing money at that to make it succeed more. Yeah. And then they'll say, say, what are five books exactly like it? So if a medical memoir's mm. done well, like Adam Kay's book called yes. uh, This Is Gonna Hurt, there'll be ten of them. Those books about um, women... Women you've never heard of who you should have heard of. Yes. Rebel, I think it was originally um, Rebel Stories for Girls or something like that. Right. That did amazing business. Right. If you go into Waterstones now, there's about 40 of them. Right. There isn't a female figure in public life who hasn't written, I don't think, a book of here are 20 women from history who've right. been overlooked. Yeah. And a lot of them have never been overlooked. They're right. really famous women, but they're just being endlessly used to make right. the point because the first book did really well. That'll eventually dry up. Mm. And then the next book that does really well will set everyone else. Right. So Girl on a Train... I can't and... wait for the Meghan Markle book, personally. I'm sure that'll Who's be a, write that a right riveting yeah. read. No, I don't mean about oh, her. Oh, oh, the, oh, the children's book. No, I mean the, yeah, the one the that she's going to write. That'd be awful. But then, but then children's fiction, a lot of this is based, like in, like in the world, based on celebrity. Yeah. It's not often based on quality. That's the thing that annoys me the most, I think, about a lot of books that get published, they get published because the person who's written it, or maybe hasn't written it, uh, has got a famous profile. And actually, the one the one thing that makes you happy, I think, is when a book does well, and it does well organically from word of mouth, because mm. people have read it and said, you know what, I love it. And you, there's nothing better than when someone grabs you by the lapel and hands a book to you and says, you just have to yes. read this book, because right. it's brilliant, mm. and I love it. Yeah. And I, I do that with a couple of novels. I, uh, Somebody a... gave Shantaram to me like that, and okay. that was brilliant. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the few books that I read more or less... Stri- I mean, I just didn't stop reading it I just until I finished it. Well, I, there's two books I always give to people. One is a, by a guy called Cormac McCarthy, who wrote yeah. The Road, but his early book in the 80s called Blood Meridian. It's an incredibly violent okay. book about um, about the Midwest of Amer- the, the old West of America. And there's a guy called James Elroy who wrote mm-hmm. LA Confidential, which yeah. comes to a movie. He wrote a book called American Tabloid about the assassination of Kennedy. Right. It is the most crazy, uh, brutal, brilliant piece of exciting l- thriller writing. Yeah. But it's it's so well done. So it's kind of straddles between literary and thriller. Like none of these books, yeah. apart from a couple, are really necessarily literary. They're just the sort of the bestsellers. But sometimes you get both. And yeah. if you ever if you buy a bookshop on a way I'll to look a book, for that. American Tabloid by James Elroy. It okay. is absolutely magnificent. I'll give you one. It's a William Sapphire book, who uh, used to be a New York Times uh, yeah, writer. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if he's still alive, but he wrote an amazing book, the name of which escapes me, about a pre- it was a fiction book about a president, but it was all about how the president goes blind and tries to keep it hidden because they can't at that particular uh, moment have a blind president. That's interesting. And it's fascinating, well, really FD, good. Because he to... was a speechwriter, I think, for um, Kennedy, wasn't he? Well, that's right. And FDR, of course, concealed much yes, of his disability. he did. Because he didn't want the American public to see... Because yeah. he was on he had polio, didn't he? He, was on, he did. He was on crutches. And yeah. he, didn't, he never wanted anyone to see mm. it. So I'm sure there's probably a bit of a bit of truth yeah, a, a, probably. A, 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 amid all that. Well, listen, we, we, we could do this all day, couldn't we? We could. And, and look, some of these books here are worth reading. I mean, I love... Are there friend. any of these that you haven't read that are on this list? I've not. I tell you, what I've not read. I've not read The Hunger Games. Okay. Um, you're not going to either. Are you? I'm not going. I'm the wrong age. <laughs> I'm the wrong age for. I have read. Have you read Fifty Shades of Grey? Um, I haven't. No. And is, I'm certainly honestly, not going to bother. You're not going to bother. And the thing that bothers me about Fifty Shades of Grey is it is rubbish. And I'm not snobbish at all about books. I think a well-written genre book yeah. is one of the great joys of life. I really do. You know, I love Lee Child. Mm. Um, I think he's wonderful. I like Michael Conley. Um, Books like that, I'm a big fan of. So I'm not a snob, but Fifty Shades of Grey. It was just, just trash. It's just rubbish. It's yeah. just rubbish. It's just badly. And 
the most unforgivable thing I think is a badly written book. And yeah. all you're looking for, you know, I always say to people, it's about you don't want to stub your toe. When you're reading a genre book, if on like the third paragraph you hit a sentence that doesn't make sense yeah. or it jars you, it's miserable. Right. You just want someone to give you a story mm. and you can read it, particularly on holiday. You don't want to be crashing into things and getting annoyed and not no. following stuff. No. Um, so I mean, I've actually read, of these 50, I've probably read all of them apart from... I haven't read any Harry Potter books at all. Well, yeah, I've not read all of them properly. My ki I've read a bit to my kids. Yeah. I mean, but people, you can't slag off Harry Potter, really, because it, it's a... It, you know, it, it is gets, brilliant. And it gets people reading, doesn't yeah. it? But, you know, Treasure Island, Wind in the Willows... No one's taking the Wind in the Willows on holiday. No. Are they? Lord of the Flies is a great book. Yeah. Catcher in the Rye... You know, Dick, you know, of all of Dickens, I cannot believe people are taking A Tale of Two Cities. <laughs> I mean, I've read all of Dickens. There's no way on earth no. the tale of two cities. It's no. just people are thinking of books. Because they've that, heard of it's that, the title, the isn't it? They've heard that opening line. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly, exactly. But that's what they know. Exactly. And people should never be ashamed of the books they read. I think if right. you like a book and it makes you happy, that's a great thing in life. There's yes. no point in pretending to read books you've never done. No. It's the Dominic Raab syndrome, isn't it? But we'll get into that another time. <laughs> Lovely to see you, Steve. Lovely to see you. Thank you for having me. Uh, see you soon. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.